All right. <laughs> hey, here we go again. Part three. <laughs> if you have not seen parts one and two with Blink, all his stuff on the channel combined right now has got 1.2 million views. One of the most engaging guests by far. Definitely knows how to tell a story. And we have republished his book. So this is now the new edition. Scotland's wildest bank robber, Ian Blink MacDonald. And look at the vibrancy of that cover. So it is available worldwide in audio now, ebook, and paperback. If you did read the original version, just a heads up, it is a republication of the original version. And from um, if you watch podcast one, then you know about the bank robbery that went wrong. Podcast two was done with Wildman and Blinks brought some, <laughs> some beers so we can have a can have a wee toast later. Yeah, yeah. Peter like likes a toast. No, I mean, so we need we need to toast them. No, I mean, I was thinking that, and instead of getting the desperados, I went, what can I get? And there's a special guest here just now. It's very close to Peter. I won't mention who it is just now, but we're going to have a wee toast to him later. So I thought, get three amigos, tequila it from Mexico, and uh, I miss you, big chap. And uh, the last the last time I was down here was nearly eighteen months ago, and uh, Peter and Sean made me welcome as usual. Put me in a nice hotel, put me in a hotel last night. I brought down Ashley and the kid Millie. She's nearly congratulations, man. And we had a good night. No no drinking. I've been trying to stay off the drink, but I will have one to uh, Peter and uh, Sean and a special guest who we're not revealing just now. <laughs> yeah, I'll have one, which I'll be surprised. <laughs> I've met the special guest, and by the way, I'm quite intimidated. <laughs> And, uh, I don't get intimidated with quite a lot of people, but this special guest has intimidated me. I'm frankly taking her up to Glasgow to sort out some of my troubles. <laughs> so, uh, Clue, it like, is a woman. <laughs> yes, it's a woman, by the way. She's crazy. <laughs> so that's all we'll see in that subject. But before we go any further, uh, I would like to thank Sean, because when we've done the first podcast, it was March 2019, and uh, Sean at the end says to me, well, what are you doing with the book? I says, the book's went out of production with Mainstream. Are you getting any money? I says, I can make 50 quid a month. I says, but i never done the book, uh, the, the book for monetary purposes. Uh, the, the book was solely done to get my story out and to get a few people, not to get a few people back, but put them in their place because uh, I just wanted the truth been out. About all these dummy gangsters up in Glasgow, <laughs> uh, the new kids in the block. So that that was it. But Sean, Sean did say at the end of that podcast, he says, "Well, look, I've got my own uh, publishing company, and uh, I'll publish, I'll republish your book." So I says, "Well, that'd be great," but I, I wasn't really bothering. And finally, Sean got in touch with me before the end of last year, and he says, "Right," he says, "We're all ready," and I, I was kind of standing there. No, he said he kept his promise, gave him his due, and uh, through his company, he brought he brought the book. He's republished it and uh, he's changed the uh, the book cover, and uh, as you can see, and changed the title. That's more that's more or less for the American audience. I I, I was just glad because the book wasn't going anywhere. Uh, so that was republished in December, which I was thankful for, Sean. And I'm not in it for monetary purposes. If Sean wants to give me any money, whatever, I'm not. I'm not. I'm okay because it wasn't going anywhere. And uh, actually, a guy who Sean got today, the 
the audio book, he was he was getting in touch with me for a few months. He was wanting to know all these Scottish words in. So it's an audio book, and that's come out in March. So today we're just here to promote the book and let other people know it's here. And because uh, there's been a quite a lot of interest because I've done podcasts and that book was out of production, that the first one, The Journey Through Gangland Mayhem. So sincere thanks to Sean and his production crew for, for bringing the back out, for bringing the book out at his cost, by the way. I've, I've not put any input into it. Sean's kindly uh, paid, paid for all the print. I, I know how books work. It costs a lot of money. And uh, it's out in audiobook. And just before us, Sean was saying it's then kind of a well. But I've no, I know there's a lot of other people. I was watching a podcast the other week, uh, somebody up north, and they, they, they were asking, how oh, many books is it published, blah, 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 blah. I've not even phoned you once, Sean, ever. And asked you, how much is the book doing? How much am I going to get? Because monetary is second, I've always said that, Sean. But if he sends me a cheque, well... I'll spend it nationally in the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't see too much yet. Checks, so, checks, checks go out every six months. <laughs> so I know. So I, I'm just glad. And there's a few of my friends here. They say that's good. That guy's done that. Yeah. Because it was gone nowhere. So hopefully somebody might pick it up and something will happen. Appreciate that. So, so if you're not, thanks, if, Sean. If, appreciate that. So if you're not familiar with Ian's story, then I'll just um, give you a little bit behind it before we get going into the hardcore stuff. So Danny Dyer's uh, team, we're going to have him on as Danny Dyer's Deadliest Men series. They go up to Scotland to film Ian, and while they're there, a bomb is found under his car. There's an actual photo of the bomb squad on the back of the book. They shit themselves and go back to London. But my favourite story of all time of Ian's, um, after Wildman died last year, we put out a selection of clips of Wildman's favourite stories. And we've got Ian's wildest night ever in his entire life, which happens in Spain, where he gets blitzed and he fights the, um, what's the Spanish cops called? I think it's the Guardia Civil. He fights the Guardia Civil. <laughs> I know who fights the Guardia Civil. They ended up putting a gun in my mouth and all that. And it was a wild night. I ended up in a brothel. And, and it, I went to a rave. I, I was just... There was, half of the people in the rave were younger than me. I could have been their, their grandfather. <laughs> I took six eckies. No, I mean, Sean knows all about that. Arizona, that's what's in there. But it was a wild night. I called it Pain in Spain. And... Uh, I'll, I'll not touch on it too much because I've already said it. Yeah, yeah, let, let, let's go over to what you sent me. So Ian sent me a link to a documentary about the godfather of Glasgow, Arthur Thompson. And Ian is in this documentary. And I think people are absolutely fascinated by Arthur Thompson's stories. I know Johnny Boy Steele told us some. And we are presently working on his book as well. So in terms of... Um, for people who are not very familiar with Arthur, the Godfather, could you run it down? Like how his history, how he how he rose to prominence, well, well, where, well, he, where he grew up, what it was like back then. Well, Sean, uh, before we go any further, me and Arthur Thompson have something in common. He, he, obviously, he's a lot older than me and all that, but with something in common. He had a bomb under his car in 1966 and, uh, and it blew up his mother-in-law. Fortunately, I had a bomb under my car many years later, and uh, the the bomb, it was a viable device, 
and the, the the bomb squad and all that came and all that, and uh, me and Arthur Thompson, I, I know he was born in spring when I was born in spring, but I moved up to Black Hill Province where he came for. So I, I know quite a lot about Arthur Thompson because I know his son and his daughters and all that went to school and all that with him. And uh, Paul Ferris was a good friend of mine. I went back and uh, and me and Paul, I get in, introduced to Paul at a young age. He was friends with my brother Alan. And uh, I was 19, Paul was 16 at the time. We're talking, we're talking about back in 1980. We're talking about 40 years ago, you know what I mean? And uh, Paul says to... Alan, Alco's his name is, he went, where's Blink up to? He's always running, running the Huggin' Field Log. This is the big park where we stay. And he went, he's graduated for shoplifting and car theft. He says he's going into jewellers and running out with pads of rings. As you say, this was 1980. There was no cameras, no, nobody with mobile phones. So crime was a lot easier then. And uh, I, I, I was doing that quite successfully. And Paul had says to Alan, can you put a word in? Well, my nickname is Blink. And he says, aye. And Paul says, can I join up? And I says, right. I says, I'll take you out in a job by now. I says, I'll do it and you sit in the corner. So I, I was I was one for always planning. And that's how I was doing the running because I knew when I run at the jeweler shop that I had to run through it. So I'd always have about a quarter of a mile or a half mile route. So I says to Paul this day, I says, okay, he, he was he was working by the way at the time. And I think he was getting fifty pounds a week. He was delivering spirits and that. And I says, right, come with me, Paul then. And 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 Paul at that young age, I must say, it was very, very game. Very, very violent game because he had had trouble with a family in Black Hill and he, I think he was getting bullied. And he just says, enough is enough. Yeah, well, I watched that in The Wee Man. It was actually Wild Man who told me to watch The Wee Man. It's one of his favourite movies. Yeah, 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 The Wee Man, yeah. And uh, Were they, like, beating him up and stuff, bullying him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Ma- Martin Compson uh, played the re- With the his re- dog. Hey, Paul. So, so, so that day I took Paul out, and we went somewhere in Scotland, and uh, I got a route. I'm going to get this route. I always like to get a jeweler's in a corner or something. So I came out the corner then run. So I says to Paul, uh, right, listen, just sit here and I'll be back in 10 minutes. I was back nine and I ran into the car and I pulled this uh, pad of rings out. At that time in 1980, I think it was about £3,000. No a lot of money now, but 40 years ago. It's a hell of a lot of money. I says, see your £50, Paul. I says, you've got £500 today. So... That, that That's how me, me and Paul started, and I says to him, well, you're doing the next one. He went, that's no problem. So we started going about uh, doing jewellers. Then we had another friend, a uh, good friend of mine, so we'll call him H. He, he joined in, but he, he'd a better he'd a, a better way in to, to doing the jewellers. He says, why don't we just do smash and grab instead of you going in? Or, and Paul, Paul was called, he'll know this, his, his nickname was Fergie at the time. I mentioned that in the book. It's not a bad name to have Fergie. But I like Ferguson. You know what I mean? So, but I don't know if he likes getting called that. But that, that was his nickname anyway when we were younger. He was Fergie. I was Blink. And uh, my other pal H. And my brother Gary. So so we were all kind of running about. And we ended up getting 
called the Stanley game. Because <laughs> instead of doing all these drillers and all that, we were getting noticed for other things. We would buy Stanleys out of B and Q and well, that's alive and never even bought them. We stole them. And we would get into the town and if we had any trouble with anybody, we we just pulled these Stanleys. I, I know I might sound a fuck, but I'm a fuck. Let's thinking about that. Uh, that that that's the way Glasgow is then. Uh, you, you had to fend for yourself. We came for a, an area which was one of the most deprived areas in Europe. And uh, so we didn't know any better. I was ex expelled for school as well. Uh, my brother Gary and Alan, they followed the same path. They were expelled because my dad left. But going back to me, Gary, H and Fergie, we, we, we were going about doing these jewellers. So instead of running out, we started then smashing grabs for a bigger prize. Then we'd, <laughs> we'd run out of places in Scotland today. Uh, remember, I'm only 19, 20. We started going over Hadrian's Wall. And uh, I know you're English, and I've nothing against English. <laughs> we were plundering the Hadrian. Says, we'll go over Hadrian's Wall and plunder the English. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, for, for everybody watching for England, that's no a slight on you, because I like a lot of people for England. I was in the jail. People feel all over, so but we were we were plundering the English over Hadrian's Wall, so we we were doing that, and uh, we were making like making a lot of money, and uh, H my pal, he he was already he, he ended up getting arrested for a security van robbery for a hundred thousand pound, and uh, he went to court, and he got away with it. You know what I mean? He allegedly didn't do it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I get pulled and I get questioned for it as well, but I, I never get charged. So actually in for 10 weeks, and uh, the, the, then it all came to an end, the the, the, jewelry, the jewelry business. Each uh, and a couple of other people I might have been involved. Uh, we done a smashing grab for a quarter million pounds. Uh, but... but but Opera's Monday was just driving up, jumping out, going to the window and just putting sledgehammers. Uh, this is 8081. And uh, each ended up getting arrested. An off-duty policewoman picked him out. He wasn't even one of the ones at the window. Since he was the ones at the window, he was supposed to be driving the car. And uh, he got fitted up. But maybe that was the way the police in Scotland getting back to H for all the other things we never get caught for so it kind of a balance that sell out so he ended up getting four years but when we were doing these jewelry robberies me and H and uh, Fergie as Paul and Gary we would get into the city centre we would spend all our money and drink clothes and women and me and H never thought uh, twice about giving a girl a diamond ring just to try, try, just to try to win her heart, <laughs> <laughs> and most times they took the ring and scampered. <laughs> it didn't bother us because we were making, uh, we were making thousands and thousands of money doing these jewelry robberies. That, uh, as I say, all over, and I think we even ventured into Europe. Me and uh, Fergie were sitting in the problem of Lynn. This would be the Godfather's headquarters, and uh, we'd be planning robberies uh, abroad as well. I've never really spoken about all this in any of the podcasts, but uh, I, I'm I'm sure he he, he could he can back all this, but no no that it doesn't. Paul's Paul's more quieter than me. No no quiet. He, he's more reserved. He, he's a lot more 
he's a, mo- a lot more thinker and brainier. Uh, I, I just I just kind of rush into things. But uh, Paul, no, I, I gave Paul the utmost respect, you know what I mean, but when he joined in with me. And uh, he sort of became my apprentice, you know what I mean? And so what what happened is one day, I'll just, instead of, instead of all that, I went into there, uh, I'll get straight into it about Arthur Thompson. Arthur Thompson to me was, he was a lot, he was a lot, the, the, he was the real godfather. Looking at this guy, because I just stayed in the corner for him. I, I, to tell you the truth, I was a young boy. I was terrified of him. Arthur Thompson, uh, I, I met him, I've been in his house a couple of times, and his eyes just pierced right through you. And you could tell Sean, he was the real deal. For a young boy at my age, 1920, he was the real deal. I don't care what anybody says, uh, that, that guy was the real deal. He was the real godfather. So... But it was strange because everybody always says, well, he's supposed to know these businesses and everybody knew him in Scotland. He was the, the godfather and they looked, they looked to godfather. He says, how did he know move away to Spain? Because he built a house and his son, young Arthur, bought a house and they called it the Ponderosa. But it was in this <laughs> area, Black Hill. And, uh, and, I, and I heard a wee thing a couple of years later. They went, uh, he wanted to go to Spain, but his wife, Rita, she she watched the soaps on Nation Street, and a way back in the early eighties, I don't think they could get that in Spain. <laughs> so I think it's something stupid as that. They never went to Spain, but Arthur Thompson wasn't a show off or it didn't. He brought everybody knew who he was. In his younger days, allegedly, I think he, he was nailing people. Jimmy Boy he was nailing people's hands to to float. He, did, he didn't mess about this guy, and. Uh, and he had a couple, of, I think he had a couple of building sites and things like that. And uh, it, it was it, to, to me, it was a real deal. But there's a couple of stories. There's a couple of stories, and they're kind of a funny stories, where I was summoned into the Godfather's house, <laughs> and I've mentioned it in the book. When you go to summons to see the Godfather at a young age, or twenty one or twenty two, <laughs> you kind of a shut yourself. He'd always send his young uh, son round, Billy. He's dead and all now. And uh, Billy would come round to my mother's door. Uh, my dad w- wants to see you. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, what's happening here? No, I mean, your dad wants to see me. So I called it, you've been summoned. Uh, so I'm like, what do you want to see me for? No, I mean. And it's, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a request. It was an order. You had to go. So I would go around. So I'll tell you, I've... A, a funny story at first. So I'm going to go like, oh, what the fuck's this all about? You know what I mean? That This is before uh, Paul had fell out. Remember, they ended up having a big bust up and they, they fell out. And uh, it was about my young brother, Alan. So he, the godfather, Arthur, he would always take you into his house, but he was always pleasant. He would take you into a back room and he'd always call you son and he would say, uh, how you doing, son? You go through all the formalities. How are you? You doing? Oh, yeah, Mister Thompson. And I called him because I had full of respect for him. But at that time, Sean, to put you in a wee bit, give a bit background information. I was seeing stories for a young age of fifteen that Mister Thompson, the Godfather, was connected to the craze. And I used to say, "Bollocks, he's not connected to the craze." And Blah, blah, blah. But I'll jump a wee bit here. See when I ended up getting my big sentence in '91, and I went into England. 
he didn't just know the craze. He knew everything. <laughs> Sorry for swearing. He knew everybody, everybody I was in the dispersal system with. With your glass, do you know if I told you? I think so he didn't just know the craze. He knew everybody. See anybody in London that had trouble with that? They, they, they would come up to Glasgow and ask Arthur, and he done a bit in the side, he sell it that the way back. And he, he, he went down to London and he sort he done a he done a few jobs for the, the craze. And I know this for a fact, because I already explained to you I was in the Long Larkin when Charlie Cray, the older brother, he got twelve years, he got fitted up that guy. He he got twelve years for cocaine and so somebody set him up. It was a little bit of the guy who was in his seventies. Yeah. And uh, and he actually says to me, he says, Oh, did you know that? I went, Yeah, he went, yeah, he says, he used to come down the work for the twins. But I, I was the nosy, I never say this and that and I went, so all these stories I've heard when I was a young boy at fifteen. He is the real deal, it's just he just doesn't know the he knows everybody. So he had a good name all over Britain. He was a hardy character. And as I say, just looking into the guy's eyes. You could tell he was a real deal, without a doubt. So this first day I was summoned. I went, what the fuck is this? And <laughs> so I went round and, as I say, he gave me all the pleasantries. Yeah. And he kind of shocked me. He went, he says, what, what it is, son? He says, eh, it's about your young brother, Alan, mm. Alco, who who used to go with, with Paul, who introduced me eh, to, to, to Paul, really. And eh, this is before Paul eh, joined up with Arthur. And I've gone, what was this about? And I went, he says, he says, uh, Alan, uh, he, he says, he sold my daughter and uh, a friend two chains. I think Alan sold them to the daughter for two or three hundred pounds. And he says, her neck went all green after a few weeks. And I went, Jesus Christ, that's a razzle-dazzle scam. <laughs> to, to put you in the picture, the razzle-dazzle scam in Glasgow in the early 80s, there was a shop... <laughs> in the city centre called the Razzle Dazzle and they'd done all these uh, dummy chains were all two and three pound but my brother was stealing them and he was getting nine carat attachments and putting them on and he was going around the whole area and selling these people a fiver chain and he was getting two and three hundred pound but the thing was their necks would all go clean after about six weeks. So this is what's happened to the godfather's daughter. <laughs> so, so her name was Tracy. So she went to her father and says, that Blinks brother's just so many these two chains, Dad. And her necks have went clean. And I went, fucking hell, this is a razzle-dazzle scam. Because I knew Alan was doing all that. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing now, but it wasn't a laughing matter at the time. Because I, I thought, am I going to get shot? i get my fucking head chopped off here. And he went, and he, and he just turned around the way like that, son. He says, eh, you know Margaret and her friend haven't got any money. Can you sort this out? And I went, yes, Mr. Tom said, I was just tidy out the room. Because I, I was only 21, 22 at the time. And uh, I was for fuck's sake, my brother's ripped in the razzle-dazzle scam. And to make it worse, their necks all going green and all so it must have been embarrassing <laughs> and he says to me he went Margaret names don't get much money but I, inwardly I says to myself and I'm looking at him going fucking hell don't get much money you're a millionaire you're on Glasgow with fortunes <laughs> but you're saying about your daughters <sighs> but I think it was just uh, embarrassment that, that uh, so I says listen I says I'll get this sorted uh, I says oh, I says, I'm, I'm really angry at him I says I can't believe he's done that <laughs> So, but at the same time, I was going like, oh, I said, for fuck's sake, is that what he's got me run here for? My brother. 
He says, son, will you get the money? Pay attention. I went, okay, I'll do that. So do you know what I'm Sean? What? I'm back round to my mother's house. <laughs> it's just from the corner. And Alan was up to everything. My mother always says, Alan should have been a car salesman, double glazing. So the gift of the gab. And he was, he was just conning everybody for everything. And uh, and, I, and so, so he, I waited him coming in. He came in and I went, I says, Alan, I says, listen, I've just been summoned to the Godfather. Because I sort of called him and went, what far? I says, he knows about the Razzle Dazzle scheme. I says, you've sold two of the chains to uh, Tracy and her friend and their necks have went green. And he went, well, stupid them for them buying it then. I says, it's no stupid. I says, I'm the one that's to deal with this. I says, you need to pay them back. He says, fuck the Godfather. And I, <laughs> and I says, Alan, nobody fucks with the Godfather. He says, well, I'm fucking them. He's not getting the money. And I went, Jesus Christ. I went, right. I says, Danny, and I went, no, I'm not paying it. So I all kind of fizzled out. I never heard anything else. And uh, that, that that was just one of the times I get summoned. And uh, there was another summons. <laughs> Billy ran at my mother's door a few years later. My dad, the, it was a common theme. My dad wants to see you. And as I say, it wasn't a request, it was an order. Mm. You had to go, you know what I mean? Or you had to just go to Australia or something, because <laughs> the guy was the real deal, as I keep saying. So I went round in uh, the same place, she said, how are you doing? And by this time, I had a pub up in Swingburne. Uh, I was I was 28 or something at the time. And I knew I had the pub and he went through all the pleasantries. How's the pub and all that? And I went, oh, it's going great and all of that. And uh, and he mentioned somebody else. He says to, uh, I'll no I'll no mention the person's name, not I mean. But uh, he just says, uh, has this person gave you something? And I went, no, no, he says to me at first, he went, have you been over to Berlin to see uh, this person? And I went, I went, aye, because he'd spies everywhere. He knew I'd been out to Berlin. I went, did he give you something? I went, yeah. It was drugs, Sean. It was drugs. It was a whole of drugs. And this person asked me, could I sell them? I said, I no problem. But he never told me it was the Godfather's drugs. <laughs> so I says I would sell them. And they went, okay, then. He says, uh, me and you are going up to Berlin tomorrow morning. At that time in the 80s, you could just turn up. If somebody was on remand, you didn't need a, a visit pass. First come, first serve to get a visit. So he says, have you sold any of that stuff? I went, yeah. He says, have you still got the money? I went, yeah, I'd a rented flat on the south side on Battlefield at the time. And uh, and the same again. It wasn't a request, an order. He says, right, I'll see you tomorrow morning in the car park. We bring that money, because uh, I was supposed to get somebody else and I, was, I hadn't gave them it yet. And I gave him my money. I think it was about £10,000. You know what I mean? It was a lot then. And uh, so I met him in the car park expecting to see Mr Thompson, the godfather, with suit. And he had a pair of overalls on. Just, just inconspicuous. But see, we walked into that waiting room. All the bloody prison officers and everybody else went, that's Arthur Thompson. The godfather, everybody knew him. And uh, he was dressed down. As I say, what he was, he, he was the guy he gave him show off, you know what I mean? He had a few businesses and all of that. But to me and every, a lot of other people, the guy was the real deal. So we went to see this person and uh and went, son just let me do the talking and that. 
And I went, okay, because I was dreading getting in, you know what I mean? Because I'd, I'd been good this stuff, and the person told me that it was not it was his stuff, but really it had bumped, it had bumped tail off her. So I went in, and the person saw me and went white and went, fuck. <laughs> uh, oh, I thought, pulled the person up and says, what's this, should we give you a bank all that stuff? And he went, oh, no, no, didn't the guy die and all that? I gave that stuff to him. And I just went, and Mr. Thompson went like that. Since I'm just you get, I'll deal with this. And they came out and uh, he says, I've sorted it all out. He says, Does he think I'm a bag of tricks? So I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. And he went, See all the, this other stuff you've got? I gave him the money and all that. And uh, he says, See all this other stuff you've got? He says, Can you sell that? I went, That's no problem, man. He says, Right, okay then. So I was going up and I was giving him all this money. It came a lot of money, Sean. It came over £100,000. And that in the end, it was a, it was a lot of money, you know what I mean? It was in the eighty six, eighty seven, in the eighties. Wow! And uh, and by this time, I was the day drug dealer or, or that, but I was helping the person that asked me. I'll, I'll get it sold, and I was making money to it as well. So I was going to give Mister Thompson's drugs, but but see the funny thing. When I was giving him the money, I was looking at Arthur. Oh, I've heard uh, the Godfather and saying, he's just let me know he's a drug dealer. Because before it, he was like, no, don't do nothing and all that. It, it's, I'm dealing with, I, I've never really told this story on uh, on a podcast I've heard before. I mentioned a bit in the book. People want to get the book again in more detail, you know what I mean? Christ, the person's name might even be mentioned in the book. I'll now say it here. And, eh, uh, and I says, he's just declared to me he's a god he's a he's a drug dealer. The the, the god the godfather of Glasgow. And I just like I was amazed. So I finished all this stuff and he says to me, son, can you do any memory? I went, aye. So he asked me to go and meet somebody else. So that that was my kind of a association with the Godfather. There's been a lot of things written in the past that I was an enforcer for the Godfather. I can tell you here and now I wasn't. But I, I, I was given an opportunity, as you can see, I'm trying to speak polite here again, Sean, for the American viewers. I know I've done this the last Appreciate time the podcast. That. Appreciate Because if I get into my Glasgow lingo, <laughs> I know, and people go, what's he saying? So I'm trying to get my snobby accent for Glasgow. They <laughs> 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 so said, I know, and all the rest of it. So, a way back, uh, me and Paul became noticed to the Godfather. This was way back in eighty eighty one. Me and Paul had been out for a couple of years. We were doing the jewelers, but we had a sideline as well. Uh, we were cutting people, and I'm not ashamed to say it. That that's been a lot in my history. Uh, I've been accused of shooting people, stabbing people, uh, kidnapping people, uh, everything like that. No, I mean, but I've no serious convictions for that. It's just for the the bank robbery. Which you're not getting because everybody knows that. I don't want to drag all that up. It's boring. No? I mean, people have heard all that. So, Paul came to see me and he says to his look, says, We've came to the notice of the Godfather. He says, eh, I've been told me you have to go into the local, it's a local pub, the problem I'm in. And eh, he says, It's tomorrow. And I went, Right, right, okay. And he went away. Then he came round for me the next night and I had to think about it. And I went, Did I really? want to get involved with this I says 
me and Paul are just going to be bail bondsmen, debt collectors, while the godfather, he'll be sitting in the Ponderosa on his le favourite leather chair, smoking his cigar, drinking his brandy and watching Minder. So, <laughs> no, this is true. So I says, while me and Paul are running about collect, because I know that's what he wanted, his debt collectors, because we were two young boys. I done a... 10, 11 years ago, I done a programme for the National Geographic, and it's called uh, Britain's Underworld, uh, Glasgow. I spoke about in, in about then, but uh, never into too much detail. So Paul came round for me the next night, and he, he was all excited and all that, saying, oh, we'll go to work. And I said to him, Paul, I said, look, I explained what I just told yourself, Sean, that but we were getting a use in basically, and two young boys. But what, what I actually says to Paul when he came round to me the second night, I says to him, Paul, I says, listen, I says, eh, I've been thinking last night, know that I'm too brainy or whatever, but criminal wise, I was a bit wide. I says, why does the godfather of Glasgow want me and you to, 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 to run about for him for a bit of muscle? And he controls Glasgow, he's got it sewn up. I says, it doesn't make sense. I think we're just going to get a use in here, collecting debts and, I don't know, maybe shooting people. And I says, no, I says, stick with me, Paul, I'm going higher. And he went, no, I'm going to want to see what they're saying. So there's been a lot of stories over the years that I was in force and all that. I, I, I had the chance. But I could see what was coming in later years. And Paul will even agree just now. He brought his last book out and he says, I should have listened to Blink. And even his, uh, I think you actually done his book on audio. Yep. Steve Rafe done it with his Unfinished well. Business. Unfinished Business. And I kind of read it and Paul, many years later, he's reflected and he says in the book, he says, I should have listened to Blink. I should have listened to his father, old Willie, who was a good guy. I knew his, I knew his father really well, gone good with his father. Going well with all his family, you know what I mean? And uh, but that that that's reflections. So Paul anyway round to the meeting and young Arthur Thompson was there, who who's in the in the film, the wee man. And uh and and in that film, I must say, Arthur Thompson is he's characterised as wearing the suit and he's got two bodyguards in that with him. That that's all crap. Uh, young Alpha, you would see him with overalls on because I was brought up with him. He was a fantastic driver. He was even a rally driver for Ford. Uh, he knew everything about guns. He was fascinated with guns and fascinated with cars. And uh, all, all, all that. The, I know a film has got to glamorise things, but uh, in the film, he had two bodyguards. He was in the pub. Young Alpha wasn't a drinker. But uh, apart from that, Paul met him in the pub. And he says to, he, t he turned Paul's head, you know what I mean? He, he admits that. And he says, listen, eh, there's a lot of jobs there for you. I want you to go and blow people's cars out. I want you to do this. There's money, loads of money there for you. And Paul says, blowing the cars up, nothing. Can of petrol and go and do that. But eh, he came back round to me and he says, look, he says, I'm taking up the offer to work for the Godfather. And I says to him, I shook his hand and I says, good luck. I says, on your new career, I says, if you'd have stuck with me, I says, I know we're doing jewellers and all that, 
running out of jewelers, the smash and grab technique, I've plundered England, kind of over to Europe. I say, yeah. I says, I'm going higher. At that time, I didn't know I was going higher, but I was going higher. I went to make a lot of money. I did go higher. I started doing security vans and post office vans and things like that. So Paul says, no, my mind's made up and says, you want to come on? I went, no, I says, I, I, I'm not doing it. So wished him all the happiness uh, or all the sadness that she was going to come to later years because it did come to later years or the carry on. So if I can just shoot up a bit, pardon the pun, to, to later years, still talking about the Godfather and Paul here, and it, it did all come to a sticky end. Uh, Thank God I was in the jail at the time. It's the only time I've said that I was in the jail. I was in, I got the arrested in June 1991 for the bank and I was on the run for five weeks and I got caught with a loaded handgun in a Chinese restaurant. And I've already explained that, so I'm not getting to that. So the serious, the Scottish Crime Squad, they were called at the time, they were solely arresting me that night in the Chinese restaurant for the robbery in Torquay. But they found a gun in my pocket in the Chinese restaurant and they went like, there's a big commotion in there, as everybody knows, I've explained. So they says, Ian, they says, uh, we were here to arrest you, to take you down to England. He says, since we've found this gun, he says, we're taking you to Berlin. So I went, fuck's sake, the last time I was in there, I says, uh, I could be screws, I had battered screws in there, and I'd been up on the visit, my brother Gary, he was in for another attempt murder, and I was shouting in the visit room to the screw, I saw the screw, oh, you fucking fanny, come on out and try and be hard now with me and all that, know what I mean? And they, they all threw me out the, the gate, six of them, know what I mean? And uh, I says, aye, there's freaking, he's all game and there's a crowd of you, know what I mean? Uh, in Berlin, I, I hated Berlin, it was a second home to me, know what I mean? But no, that I was an angel, I was battering them, they were battering me. But I was battering them myself, they'd come in six and twelve handed. But getting back to the story, when I was in uh, Berlin, that was for June to... September 91, August, the Godfather Shun get shot, Young Arthur, which is in the film, mm. and uh, oh, the, the whole of Berlin was all buzzing. Everybody's like, oh, what's happened here and all that, and everybody in Glasgow knew it wasn't a secret, but this time Paul had fell out with the Godfather Arthur, and uh, when I, when, at that time, I had the pub in Swingburn, they used to come up and see me, and they uh, He'd come up with the, the, the other pals who had met in the family, the two boys that was executed, Bobby Glover and Joe Hanlon, and uh, Tam Began sometimes. And uh, I used to say to him, look, Paul, oh, that trouble is nothing to do with me. You picked your side and all that. And I went, no, 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 that's not with me. He was, he was having a war with me at the time. So in Berlin at the time in 91, you were only allowed a radio, Sean. You, you didn't have TVs, etc., and all that. So it came on the radio one night, it says somebody's been shot in the province of Melbourne. It didn't give the name. This was a, a Saturday night, Sunday. I went, I wonder who that was. See, by the Monday, oh, it exploded. Uh, it was all the newspapers, Godfather's son's been killed, blah, 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 blah. So it was a beehive activity in Berlin, and everybody's like, oh, I wonder who done that. And the name Paul Ferris kept coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up. And, uh, and I said, I says, eh, the Godfather's not going to be happy about this. His son been killed. Because I always saw him as a real deal. And he was. 
So going into September '91, it was still everybody was all talking in Berlin. You know, the Godfather. I wonder what the Godfather's going to do about this. Is he going to accept his authority? And and I went. And there was the stories. Paul's name kept coming up, coming up. Another two boys' names coming up. Hanley and Glover. So the night before the young Arthur's funeral, it's on that underworld Britain. I don't know if you've watched it, you've seen him coming out the house and ready to get buried and all that. And uh, the night before the funeral, somebody set up to see the boy Glover and Hanlon. There was rumours they were involved in the murder as well. They were actually on the indictment for the High Court uh, when Paul eventually went to trial for this because he got charged. And uh, it was only five weeks later and uh, Glover and Hanlon were found in a car down at the cottage bar that this was Paul's headquarters at the time. It was down at Shettleson and uh, they had this pub and uh, Glover and Hanlon were found in this car. I think it was a Ford Orion, executed. So then Berlin, it was, it was even more people running about going like that. And actually somebody says... Tam Began's and found in a car with Bobby Glover, but it all came out it was Glover and Hanlon. But whoever done it, they sent a message. They, they, they were set up with somebody, the guy's name is Judas, you know what I mean? I'll not say his name. I've mentioned him in the book as well, you know what I mean? And uh, he was actually at my trial at the old Bailey. He was called Mr X. And uh, the, the story is he, he, he set them up. The, the the guy, the guy Glover couldn't couldn't be nicer to him. Uh, he had him staying with him. He was on the run for the neck, and he had this Mister X staying with him, the Judas, and uh, his house. And the story goes that he phoned him up. But I want you to come to a meeting, and Bobby Glover phoned Joe Hanlon up, and uh, Mister X was sitting in the back. I don't know where they went to, but I think somebody else jumped into the car and there's stories it was Mr X's uh, uncle. He's dead now, you know what I mean? His name was, I can mention his name was Manson and he was supposed to be a pal with the Godfather for years ago. So what 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 actually happened, Sean, is the Godfather exerted all his influence and all his, all his power and and took spectacular that he's, he's, he's made this hit happen and it was done in spectacular fashion and the, the two boys were found as I say outside the cottage bar and it coincided the day it was young Arthur's funeral so it was a message sent and you could actually see see there's the stillage in that that Glasgow's uh, underworld. Britain's underworld. Uh, well, Arthur, he's in the car and you can see kind of a smile. And they, they were supposed to pass by the route with the, the two cars. But the car with the two, the two bodies in it, uh, Joe Bananas and the boy uh, Glover, executed. So then I was like, I was in Berlin at the time, I'm going, thank fuck I'm in here. Because <laughs> I says to myself, it's the first time I've ever, I've ever, uh, it's, it's the first time I've ever said I wanted to win the jail. Because I was so close and I wasn't thinking about the Godfather, I was thinking, 
I was thinking, is he still thinking Blink's pals with Paul and maybe he's got something to do with it? And I went, this is the safest place for me. Because the story went that when the two boys were executed, oh, Paul was in, Paul was in Berlin at the time as well. And uh, the boy Glover had just got out in bail. So there's, there's a lot of stories going about that if Paul got out in bail, he, he'd have been in that car as well. So I think Paul's at nine lives. He's had about seven lives. I think I've had about six or seven as well, you know what I mean? We've been very lucky in our life. But there's no doubt about it. Everybody's been saying that if Paul was out, he'd have been the third guy in that car. So he said, a lucky escape. So I ended up getting moved into England at the time. I was like, thank fuck we all this going up in Glasgow. Even though I was facing a long sentence, it was heavy, heavy duty. And uh, everybody's like that. After Thompson, he's just showed he is the real godfather for, for this to happen. He's dead now, there's no doubt about it. In my mind, he did set that up. Without a doubt, he used all his influence and all that. So I went down to England and uh, Paul ended up getting charged with it and the boy Glover and Hanlon, they were on indictment. But he went to court and I was in England in June 92 and it, it was one of the longest trials in... Uh, Scottish history and I actually thought because I was reading about it down in England and I went because he had loads of charges it wasn't just about Thompson's son he'd, he'd, he'd been accused of putting Thompson Senior up in the air with a car and all that before it uh, he was accused of kneecapping people drugs there was a whole raft of charges on the indictment there was about 12 charges and uh and I thought the worst for him. Like, I, mean, I went to the guy to get away with it. I mean, I don't want to see anybody getting in jail. So, <laughs> the, the the jury, but they they sent and uh, what 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 the police done? They they made they made a big cock here. They sent in this uh, Dennis Woodman into the window. into Bellini. It's a segregation unit, and he was shouting to Paul at the window and all that, and they were playing chess. But Paul didn't you know he he was put in there with the authorities. He'd done it before in England. He'd, he'd set people up. He was a known supergrass. So he appeared at court and he says, yeah, Paul admitted everything. He'd done it and all that. But Paul had a good uh, lawyer at the time. He's one of the best QCs in Scotland. His name's uh, Donald Finlay. I've had him myself. And uh, Donald Finlay run rings around this, uh, Dennis Woodman. And uh, he says, you've done this in many occasions. Your name's been changed about five times. You've tried actually try to stick in guys in Liverpool and I think it was a guy for the Vaughan family, a guy Danny Vaughan who used to be co-accused the John Haas, I'm sure it was him he tried to, he tried to think me stick in as well and uh, so he was well known for it, so he told that many lies, I think the juries just went Pfft. so at the end of the day Paul got uh, not guilty and he came out and uh the stories again in the paper I was reading in England. Uh, he's going to get killed with the Godfather, not it was a huge contract and all that. But I don't think Paul was going to fuck at the time, what I mean. And uh, and in '93, the Godfather suddenly died. He had a bomb under his car. He'd been shot at. He had numerous attempts in his life, and uh, he died with a heart attack in the Ponderosa. So that, that left the door. There was a power, a, a power vacuum in Glasgow to see who was going to be the next uh, Godfather. 
and this guy's name was getting mentioned who's in the film as well I think John Hanna plays him the licensee and uh, he he just wasn't a contender you know what I mean he he was known for working with the authorities because uh, his nickname was the licensee because it was says he had a license to put people in the jail and uh, so there was another guy who I'll touch on because we're on the same subject, is guy Rab Carruthers. I'm no, I'm no uh, sure, well, I'm sure, and I'm no doubt, or, or the, I think I've done about 200 podcasts on True Crime, from Manchester and all that, and a lot of people know this guy. His name's Rab Carruthers. He came from Glasgow and he moved to, he moved to Manchester when he was 18 or 19. Oh, he was a game game guy. And, uh I turned 60 there last month. Rab would have been about... Rab would have been about 10 years older than me. So his name was getting touted in 93 for the higher parent to be the next godfather. But... And, and he was up for it, this guy. And uh, him and uh, Paul were friends. And uh, Rab ended up... Sadly, he got to jail. And... Uh, I was in full sitting at the time. Rab, I, I don't know the exact the exact uh, circumstances, but Rab, uh, Danny was caught up in a huge heroin operation in Manchester, and uh, he was strange So he ended up, I'll think the story correctly, he ended up getting 15 years, and I was in full sitting, and in the, the wing I was in, there was an induction wing. So anybody that came to high security full sitting, there was an induction wing below me, and they get assessed there for a week, and they could go to another wing. So I heard Rabbit arrived. I, I I didn't know him, by the way. I didn't know him. But I knew all about him. And a Scottish guy, I said, fellow Scottish guy, and I was doing a bit of cooking and all that. And it was a Friday he arrived, and I says, I go down and see him. And uh, I didn't see him. I says, oh, how you doing, Robert? He says, aye, I've heard about you. And I said, no, I've heard loads more about you, mate. Because he had a fearsome reputation, Rob, and he was well-respected in Manchester. Uh so I says to him, I says, I says, I know you know Paul and Bubba and went, went. So I says, Well, I'm doing a bit of cooking, you know. I had learned to cook then. Before I get to jail, I couldn't even cook a boiled egg. But I was making a curry for the boys, you know what I mean? And uh, I went down, gave him a curry, chapatis and all that. And uh, and he says to me, son, could you he called you son as well. He was the kind of a mouldy Arthur Thompson, but I didn't mind see people like I didn't mind him calling you son. Because they've, they've been right up there and done it. And you got a lot of respect for them. So Rab says, could you get me something? And he was talking about drugs. And I went, oh, So he says, get it. So before you get banged up, you get banged up for five to six. And then all these jails for the prison officers to go and get their tea and that. So I went and get, gave him this something. I mean, and it was hard to, hard to get. What he asked for, it was quite a lot. But I got him it because I says, look, and the boys on the wing went, oh, I've heard about him. He's good for it, you know what I mean? To send the money. So I was at six o'clock and uh, I was expecting a thing again when we last him for Friday to Monday or Tuesday or something like that. I saw the curry hadn't been it. I was more, I was mere, I was more gutted than he ate my curry. <laughs> <laughs> and I says, you all right, Rob? And he went, aye. And he went, listen, son, he says, uh, see that thing you got up there? I went, aye. He went, could you get me another one of them? And I went, 
what, what do you mean? I says, have you done that? And he went, aye, that was nothing. And uh, the time, Rab, Rab, Rab had a huge drug problem. Haven't we all had it at one time, know what I mean? But Rab did a, a, a huge problem, know what I mean, with drugs. I'm not condemning because I've had a huge problem with drugs and that. So I went, I'm going to get, so I went and got my another one. And <laughs> he'd done that. And but it was good for it. But th this story's leading up to to, to Rab and to Dem Demise. This is going to be quite a wee bit of a long story here. Go for it. About Rab. So I, I got to know him quite well. And he says, well, it'd be good if you could, you could stay on my wing. I went, fuck me all the stuff you're wanting me to get. It's not going to be a good idea, this is. But it was good for it. So lo and behold, he get moved to another wing. A couple of years later, I get moved up to Franklin. I was in Falsett in three years and and I get moved up to Franklin because you get moved about being in Katie and that. So I'd lost touch with Rab. Then as the years went on, uh, I get a transfer up to Scotland for my last year because I asked uh, the prison authorities for Franklin. Uh, I went to a few other places. Uh, I've already mentioned in the last podcast when I was in Long Larton. So I was in Long Larton and uh, I just went to after category after nine years, and uh, I went down to the prison officers and the officers. Right, that's me after category nine years. Uh, what's for me? Am I going to an open prison? Re they went, you're no rehabilitate rehabilitation material. I went, what? I says, we're in nine years. I says, uh, I says, the last five years I've known had a report. That means a disciplinary thing. Uh, and uh, they went, no, but for the first four years uh, you were fighting and battling for it. I says, is that not the way it's supposed to work out? You came in, I says, because I went for 18 months, 18 years. <coughs> and I says, uh, of course I was in trouble. I says, I couldn't handle it. I says, but the last five years in model prison, no, it's no funny. I says, we'll get me to Scotland. So anyway, I went up to Scotland and I ended up in shots in January 2001. And I'd already been knocked back for a parole application. So I had another parole application coming up after I'd done the 10-year the mark. So lo and behold, who turns up and for uh, HMP shots Rab. in Scotland? Rab. Rab. <laughs> He's landed in my wing. I went down to see him. I went, Rab, you're looking fantastic. <laughs> and he went, do you think so? I went, look at you. I knew he was off the drugs. <laughs> I said, you're looking. And he went, I said, he had a big clamp down in the full sitting. It was harder to get it in. And I went, well, is that not a great thing? I says, look, I says, long have you been in there? And I think he'd been in, I think he'd been in six years or something like that. Six years come, and I says, look, and I, and I, I didn't beat about the bush with him, Sean. I says to him, I says, Rab, I says, listen, I says, do not be tempted here. I says, shots is awash with drugs. There's plenty here. I says, stick it out for six months, nine months. You go to an open prison. You see, your mother, his mother stayed up in Mary Hill at the time. God bless her, she's died now. And uh, I says, and you're, you're looking great. Aye, right, right, son. Dirty says, Sean, after five or six days, he had a crowd in his cell, bang on the gear again. He was paying for it all, and I'm talking about he'd rubbed a lot of good friends outside, and it was thousands of pounds it was getting sent. Then the, and uh, I try to talk to him, but not that I could talk to anybody, but I was just trying to give him a bit of advice. I says, look, I've got to get out. The main objective is get out. 
because I was hoping to get my second uh, pro hang. So getting back to Rab after four or five weeks, he's ended up with an inhaler, then he's ended up with this bottle where, where his breathing was going away because this tinfoil was taking the drugs on. It was taking a, an effect on his body. And uh, and he just sat in his cell, but he had a few people in there and he was feeding them. And I still went down to talk to him. I said, Rob, I said, for Christ, it was happening, you know what I mean? Because I did care about him, you know what I mean? And, uh, and he, he was a good guy. I didn't want to see him going to waste like that and he had an opportunity to get out. So we, we jog on three or four months. I'm going to a visit one night and Rob's going to a visit. The next minute somebody's pushing him in a wheelchair. You had to go through all these corridors. It was about half a mile to get into the visit and uh, shots. And I says, what's happening? He went, oh, I'm fucked, son. He says, I can hardly walk. So it was, it was getting really, really bad. And I'm going, fucking hell. And, and the prison officers knew it was that. So they're not going to send them to an open prison, you know what I mean? Because you get drug tests, you get this. But, but by this time, he was just away. So... I ended up getting released in uh, two, uh, November 2001. Rab ended up getting released. I think he got out a year or two after me. And this is the sad bit of the story I'm coming up to. Because uh, I saw that coming and just... But, Sean, if you want to take drugs, you want to, it's up to yourself. If somebody tells me to stop taking drugs, I say one year out the other. So it was your own choice, but I was just trying to say to him, look, you can get out, blah, 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 but see if you continue. But I didn't know his health was going to deteriorate like that. So, Rab sadly died in November, in November 2004, and uh, it was a, a huge gangland funeral, and there was sparks lying at it, sure. There was a lot, a lot of trouble. And I stepped in and saved somebody for getting shot. Who had a beef with who? Well, I never had a beef with anybody. Right. <laughs> this is right, see, see the funeral. There was a guy over from Spain. It was pals with my. I'll not mention his. Yeah, name. without without naming names. Of yeah, course, just yeah, yeah. mention yeah. names. So there was a huge turnout at his funeral, and it was in the Brothers Pub in Postal Park, and uh, I sat to the end. And another crowd is went over to another pub, the Saracen Bar. And it was a good wake. Everybody was there was people for Spain, there was people for Manchester, people everybody paid their respects. It was it was a well forty guy. So what happened is figuring too much to the story. In the second pub at ten o'clock at night, something happened. So, so somebody was stabbed, right? The, the, the guy came over for Spain, it was Pals with Rab. He gets stabbed a couple of times, know what I mean? And uh Was it was he stabbed like people were just talking shit or No, it was that it was a few beefs that was going on for Glasgow mm. with, with different people and this certain factor was pulling somebody up. It got out of hand and uh the guy for Spain gets stabbed. So the other people somebody were like that, shouted. This guy's dead now. Shouted, right, go and get the message. And it wasn't like the Pulp Fiction, you know what I mean, film, where, where Thingway 
they've shouted, bring the gimp out. It was, bring the shotgun out. So somebody's ran out of a car, ran in with a shotgun, and the other guy who killed the general, he says, right, fucking shoot him. This was the guy for Spain. He was already lying in a pool of blood. He looked as if he was dying. And if the shotgun was aimed at him, what would he do? I jump up. I'm like, ah, no, and I, I'm running about like that. Ah, the guy's at the shotgun. I'd put my own life in danger. But I could see what was happening. It was just it was just too far. It was a funeral. Everybody there supposed to celebrate Rab's life. It was turning into carnage. It was gangland Glasgow as usual. And uh, I've never told this story in a podcast before. And uh, I'm, I'm no naming names. And uh, I'm running a bit. The, the shotgun was actually in my stomach. And... Uh, Oh, by the way, I never just jumped up like a hero to do this. I knew the people. We're there, the, the beef with these people and the guy running the shotgun. So, Sean, if it would have been strangers, I wouldn't have jumped up. So I knew the people, but I've still taken a chance. So I'm like, ah, and they went, no, get out of the way, get out of the way, because I wanted to finish this guy for Spain. So, anyway, I, I got them out the door. They went out the door. Then I went, fuck, please look at this, this guy. He was like, as if he was dying, you know what I mean? Rat Rab's pal for Spain. So anyway, uh, I, I managed to get out. The police were actually coming indoors as I was getting out. And I just went, like, and we went, what by them? I went, fucking hell, this is all I need, you know what I mean? At a fucking funeral then. Maybe going to get done for fucking attempt murder and... <laughs> fuck knows what so uh, it, it was just it was just carnage and men but what do you expect in Glasgow wow you know what I mean <laughs> and I, do, I don't even know how I've told this story it's just because I was talking <laughs> with the godfather then talking with Rab but you know me my stories just continue yeah yeah so I managed to get away and uh, so what happened is see the guy from Spain by the way I knew him I was in Berlin with him years ago I was doing six months and he was doing ten years so I knew him but then he became a multi-millionaire and moved to Spain and came from Manchester, moved to Manchester, he's Scottish. And uh, so everybody was like, I mean, the next couple of days, I went, oh, the, the rumour factory was spreading in Glasgow. I call it the, the Glasgow underground, not the Glasgow underworld. <laughs> so the, the, the rumours were spreading <laughs> in the underground. <laughs> oh, there was a big thing that Rab Carruthers, his funeral, there was guns pulled, there was people stabbed for Spain. Uh, and it was in the Daily Record and all that as well. My name was mentioned, a couple of others saying that we broke this up, but that was, that was the wrong story. Uh, what, what happened was a couple of days later, it was going all over the place and everybody was like, you saved that guy's life. I went, well, I just done the right thing. I says, I thought there was too much violence. He'd already been stabbed. I thought, didn't he? His wife... His wife, his wife was, was hanging over him, and so I just says, "No, enough's enough. It's just so." So they went out, and a couple of days later, I went down to see this guy for Spain. I went down to see him in the hospital, even though I was friends with these other guys that allegedly done this. And uh, I went to see him. I'll see when I was I just got in the corridor. His wife only run along and jumped right and told me, and went. Oh, oh, you saved my husband's life, blah, blah, blah. and I went, <laughs> <A> girl. <laughs> but no, the, the woman was been sincere. 
And I went, no, 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 it's that stop. No, no, you saved my husband. They were going to shoot me and all that after me stabbed. And I went, no, not a problem. I says, can I go and see him? And he was in a bad way. Oh, he wants to see him. And he was on ventilators and everything. So I went in to see him and uh, there was this other guy he mentioned too. I wouldn't mention his name either. You know what I mean? It's embarrassing. And he says, t this was supposed to be a friend of his, which never helped him. And he says to me, uh, he says, so he mentioned the name, he says, with the tea day. And I was dying for him to ask me this question. Mm. I says, uh, what is it called? The $10,000 question. And I, I was dying for this guy to, to ask me this. The guy from Spain, what happened to his so-called pal? And I went, what happened? I says, as soon as you get stabbed, he ran out the door. I says, and I had to deal with the shot with the, the, the gun. And he went, no, son, I've been told all that. He says, I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll owe you my lick. He would have been dead. He was getting shot. He'd have been dead, right? So, so he went like that. He went, oh, I've heard too much. Ed. And I, I, I let him go. So, over the weeks in Glasgow, remember this was way back in 2004, November. The guy from Spain, if he had that much money, he got to sell a private ambulance out of Glasgow Royal Infirmary and went down to Manchester, another place in Spain and all that as well. And uh, people were saying to me over here, it says, oh, by the way, he owes you big time because he's a multi-millionaire. But I was, I was quite, I, I was back in doing serious things in the underworld, of, as I mentioned. Remember, I told you in the last podcast, I says, "Fuck it, Sean, I'm back into serious crime because uh, the police stitched me up, and I was just enjoying myself in this club, and it was uh, April Fool's Day, and I says, well, I'm not fooling about. I told you all this, so I was into crime anyway. But a few people came to see me, and they went, oh, everybody's talking, you saved his life and all that.' He, owes, I says, look, he owes me nothing." I says, I done it. I just saw a bit of a thing happening. Uh, he'd already been stabbed and his wife never... I says, I actually saved the people... See the people at Pilt the Gunner? They thanked me in later months. They came to me and says, uh, thank God we never... There was 30 witnesses in the pub. <laughs> there was 30 witnesses. <laughs> the bastard after... So I get thanked in both directions. <laughs> I know you're laughing, you should, but... <laughs> It was, it was, this was one of the craziest things I've done in my life as well, you know what I mean? And I don't know how I'm even mentioning this, but it's just because we're talking Godfather and Rab. And uh, people said, you can even shot that gun. And I went, I know, I said, but I know them. Said, but you can, even my brother and my pal each are like going, fucking hell, that's about it. And I went, I said, just saw this happening. I didn't want it. So people were saying in Glasgow, the rumour factory was going around. Everybody knew because it was a huge funeral. It was a, it was a huge underworld funeral. You can ask any future thingy, any of your inter, uh, interviewees for Manchester, Rab Crothers, everybody knows him. And, uh, so anyway, to cut a long story short, and uh, I'm going to say about the guy for Spain, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed and I'm right. Because I says, right, i done that the goodness of my heart because I didn't want him getting killed and all that, right? And as I said to you before, if it was uh, if it was strangers, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put them up. But I jumped up. So people go like that. He owes you, and I went, he doesn't owe me nothing. And I says, but if, I ever, if my wee empire crumbles, I says, maybe I'll go to him in a rainy day. So five years later, Sean, where I've already mentioned about Danny Dye, the shape, my whoop. 
down the motorway, you know, the film, the bomb, the slashing. For, I think people are getting sick of mentioning me all this and the bank, I hate talking about it on because it's just bringing all, I like to try and bring in new things to the podcast. So this rainy day appeared. <laughs> <laughs> so the rainy day appeared and my empire was crumbling because I was on heavy police surveillance. So I had the skill doing, I don't say what I was doing, but I was doing everything right, taking chances galore. But I, it was working. I was going around the world and I was having all the things I wanted to do. Then the money went because the police were right on me and I'm going to get into a couple of stories in a minute about it, what they were doing. But I'll finish this off. And uh, if we might, back, might jump back to the Godfather, I might remember some other stories. But the rainy day appeared. So I get in touch with this pals, the, the guy from Spain, who I call him. It was nearly short who was supposed to have saved his life. And uh, I get in touch with one of his pals. He's called, he's dead as well. So can Jack Scratch, everybody knows him. So everybody will know. Everyone in Glasgow knows who this character is, right? So I get in touch with Jack. Can meet your pal. So I asked, I went, I went and met him. The guy came up from Manchester, right? And everybody was saying to me, you know, everybody was saying to me over the years, you saved his life. He shouldn't have beat you, saved his life. He, he owe you anything. I went, no, I don't want that. She says, I'm, I'm doing all right. But then the rainy day came. <laughs> <laughs> the rainy day. I wish it was bucking. Because <laughs> all I got done was push it, come out of his mouth. I met him in a cafe, no, and I'm going to be straight here. And I says to him, I says, listen, I says, uh, things have went wrong with my wee empire and that, by the way. I says, I'm in a gangland war here. I says, if they skilled in my operations. I says, I'm looking for it. And I never even asked him for money. Right? I'll tell you what I asked him for. I asked him for that stuff you put up your beak, right? <laughs> I asked him for a bit of that. Quite a large bit, but not a bit. Say 40 grand, people know what I'm talking about. So he turned around and says to me, son, uh, this son again, he went, where do you get that idea from? I don't do that. And I went, no, no bother, mate. No bother, that, that's that, no bother. And, uh, and I looked at him and I went, you could have been lying in a fucking a mortuary, you know what I mean? But I never, I never, I didn't want, I didn't want to say it because I wasn't wanting to kind of a saying, look, I saved you. No, because my other pals are saying, see when you meet him, just go in and say to him, look, I saved, I says, I don't want to say all that, I saved your life. And it was just a token of, it was a big token of gesture, right enough. So, you know, son, I don't do that. So see the punchline of this story, I'm going to try and kind of finish it. The guy only got caught in a cocaine, international cocaine operation and got eight years. He didn't do that. So I just went, thanks very much, and walked out. And uh, to say I was disappointed would be putting it mildly. And I went, fuck it, I should have just let him get shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did see that. I mean, fuck, no, no, I was fully into that. I was walking up and down doing my walk, and I went, mm. I don't know, just let the guy get shot. He says, You're asking for that, you know what I mean? Mm. About a beak on, and fuck. <laughs> then he had the cheek to say, I don't do it, but he gets caught up in an international. So, fuck him anyway. I could name him, shame him there. And I hope he's listening to this because I don't give a shit <laughs> if he is. But uh, that, that, that's what happens you do somebody a favour, Sean. People say <laughs> <laughs> So this story I've, I've never told it. This story just went 
<laughs> Appreciate you telling us all these original stories. You said that leads on to two other stories. Yeah, it does lead on to a few stories, Sean. Better get a drink of water. Go for it. And the, you know, Paul Ferris book, Unfinished Business. We've done the audio book for Paul as well. So I'll put the link for Paul's book in the description box. As well as the link for Ian's book will be in the description box below this video. Both books are doing really well and available on audio. That's good to hear. I might be able to put someone on Ashley's table. <laughs> I just keep saying, when are you putting someone on my table? When are you putting someone on my table? Says, I've, I, I've retired, Ashley. Mm -hmm. I mean, but hopefully not. I mean, but I'm not materialistic anyway. <laughs> so anything she gets, she can go to TK Maxx. She's kind of run to cruise. Or this is like oh, I love TK. I love TK Maxx. <laughs> <laughs> TK Maxx is brilliant. You know what I mean? But uh, I so well fast forward a bit. That was. We were away back in 1980 there, then we shot up to 2004 through the Rab story, you know what I mean? I just thought I'd say that story. I got something off my chest as well there, you know what I mean? Uh, so, and to, I'll, I'll, t I'll just tell you this story quickly, Sean. I'll, there's loads of stories. Take your to time. Tell I don't want to rehash everything that I've said, so I've got another two stories. I saw 2008, when I was told you my empire was crumbling, 2008, 2009, I had... Uh, it's called up in Glasgow, the Serious Crime Squad, hounding me. And it was the top, the top echelon of police. They're based over in Helen Street, over in Govan. So they were pulling me up in the Blinkmobile. <laughs> I had this car with Blink on it. And there were special guests sitting here at the moment who we won't reveal. But <laughs> I had this car and uh, my nickname's Blink. And it was Blink on it, so I was hot on July in Glasgow and everybody was saying, oh, that car, and I went right in the bother. So... The police would keep pulling me up after, and when I'm involved in this gangland war, so I was getting sick of it. So this one day I was up in my flat, up in the Hugging Fuel Lock, and two friends came up to see me. And uh, they says to me, they says, Ian, they says, the Serious Crime Squad are sitting around there. I had a B&Q sat next to me, it was on knocked down. They says, I think they're waiting on you coming out to pull you up. And I was getting sick of it, and I went, they've pulled me up about 10 times. They think they were going to get a gun or something. But I, I was too wide in, Sean, because I'd learned from mistakes and learned in prison, the university of crime. Right, don't do certain things, just be hasty and drop out in guns, because I know I was getting watched. And uh, so, so this day they say, they're running, and I went, well, I'm going to the dentist. I says, see if they try and pull me when I come out of this car. I says, hey, I'm most open. They went, <laughs> they went, what? I says, I'm taking them a trace. I says, I says was it a marked car? They went, no, no, it's... It's in March, there's four of them in it. So they went away. I had a dentist appointment, it was half past one or something. It was a Friday. And uh, <laughs> I've come out my state. Sure enough, near the come. So down to set of traffic lights. And they were at red and they put this blue light on. And I says, fuck you, you know what I mean? I've had enough of this. I'm going to a dentist appointment. I'm an ordinary member of the Glasgow community now. <laughs> <laughs> this gangland war. The gangland war is petering out and simmering out and you're still trying to make I'm trying to about my business. And uh, so I ended up in this chase and, and I went, so, so I've shook them off and I've been running half of Glasgow. <laughs> then they've caught up with me again. And I'm going up Springburn Road and I'm in the blink maybe and I'm like, fuck it. 
I says, I've lost them. Then the next minute, all these other cars started coming with sirens on. I was going through bundles of red lights. I was up to 70, 80 miles an hour. So I lost them, know what I mean? But they must have been on the other Glasgow police, right? It was about one o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, I got out the car. And this, before it was in the thing, I squeezed on in between these cars, you know, Springburn Roads. Squeezed, then I jumped to it, and I was running, but there were sirens coming that way, and they, these four are chasing me. And you know what they done? They got me, and one of them went, you bastard, and they smashed my fucking head right, right, right against the, the concrete. I thought my nose was broke, so it was all bloody. They've got me cuffed. They went, you can't, you nearly killed people, you've been driving, and I went, how who use acting super? They went, we're the serious crime squad. I went, oh listen, mate. I says, I thought you were four hitmen. I said, <laughs> they went, you knew who we were. I says, no. I says, mate. I says, you, you're in a unmarked car. I said, next minute you. I says, I never saw any blue light. They says, no, you've been driving like a maniac. I says, well, I've had seven of these defty warning things. I says, so I'm not taking any chances. They're like, aye, aye, no bother. So. My nose is still cut, so they says to his, uh, I says, what's this all about anyway? They went, no, no, our boss sent us to, get, we were in the car, they says, we're taking you down to London Road Police Station. They says, uh, I says, but why, why are we going to pull me anyway? Look for gut, and they went, no, no, they says, there's a warrant out for you. And I says, a warrant? I says, what's the warrant for? Well, see that day, Sean, I was supposed to go, it was a Friday, I was supposed to go to Dumfries Sheriff Court. I was done for speeding, right? Who gets done for speeding in a mini? <laughs> Me. <laughs> a hired cart. I was doing 120 mile or 130 mile and I was just going to buy Lockerbie. And the next minute, this unmarked car, be mommy. And I jumped to it and I went, oh, what is it? They went, what is it? We've been, it was raining that, they says. We've been following you for the last three or four minutes. You went up to speeds 130. I went, I didn't even think that car could do that. They says, do you think you're Jackie Stewart? Jackie Stewart's racing. And I went, no, they went, I says, this is a hired car. So anyway, they've gave me, they says, we're doing you with speeding. This is we had you at 130, uh, we're going to in the morning at 110. So they says, right, go on your way. So I'd went to court and I was pleading not guilty for this. But, uh, so, they, they, these coppers are taking me down to London Road and I says, well, you, you, are, you were here to arrest me. This is what the chase was about. For a speeding charge, you're the serious crime squad who deal with armed robberies, murders, uh, everything. No, I mean, gangland wars. This is our boss just told us to come up and get you, right? I say, so this one was issued at what, half ten? It's now about half past one. This must be the fastest one that's ever been issued in Scotland. It takes about two, week, two weeks to get through the process, especially for a speeding. So they get me down to this police station and I'm all blood and they're trying to give me a handkerchief and I'm like, get away and all that. And, and so they went like that, they went in and says, hey, what are you going to tell the custody sergeant? Because he's here to, the custody sergeant, the guy books you in and he's got to look out, out for your welfare. So he's not wanting me to conk out with a brain hemorrhage or whatever because I'm bloody now. So we got there and they went like that, they says, hey, don't tell them we've done this and we won't do you a putting people's lives in danger, driving recklessly, and, and all the rest of the bollocks. And I went, what? They says, don't say to me, won't charge you. So I'm not a grassy, even though it's police, I could have I put them right in it, by the way. So see, we're standing at the charge bar. 
the, the sergeant gave me his due. He's he's the custody sergeant, and uh, he's there for my well-being because I'm going to custody for the weekend for this one. And uh, he went to me. He says, "What happened to your nose?" I went, "I fell." And they all looked, and one of them started kicking me, as if to say, "Don't say nothing," because they were shitting themselves. <laughs> I had them back your rights if I did want to charge them. Uh, the custody sergeant asked me another two times. And I says, I just fell. He went, that's it? And they went, okay then. I says, you're right? I says, I'm okay. And that blood was still coming in my nose. So see the four ACs crime squad? They, they says, right, we'll put what cells that they got. So they took us around. They went, oh, well done, Ian, and all of that. Uh, we, we'll no bother charging you with all this uh, car chase. And I went, I bollocks, fuck off. You know what I mean? So they went away, Sean. So that was me in there for the, the Monday that that's a good ending to this because <laughs> the chase was for fuck all by the way you know what I mean they, they just made a right cunt to themselves these places in Scotland and uh, so I'm in the weekend and on Sunday I get transported down to Dumfries to appear in court on the, the Monday oh by the way when I got to Dumfries on the Sunday one of the turnkeys it's a guy who went like he says oh you were in the paper saying you were in a high speed chase for the police and all that and I went, aye, in the Saturday. I says, nothing. I says, mate, I says, I'm going to court for a speeding. He says, oh, they made a big thing yet. So I get, took down my private company, G4 or whatever it was, G4 is the security company down to Dumfries. So I got to Dumfries and I asked her what a solicitor. I says, no, I don't, because I had an ace up my sleeve, Sean, that I never says to anybody over the weekend. Because the, the warrant was just one total load of bollocks. I had it covered. So a sheriff says to me, uh, you're done with another charge. You're done with a speeding, how do you plead? This is not guilty. He says, you're done with another charge, failing to appear in court on Friday. I says, not guilty. He says, right. And I says, can I say something? And he went, yeah. I says, well, see the reason I never turned up on Friday? I says, I went to my doctor on the Monday and uh, he gave me a sworn conscience letter. What that means to the viewers is that you can't appear in court. That this letter, it's hard to get one of these letters. So so my doctor uh, wrote that to me. So he gave me it, and I sent it recorded delivery to them for the sheriff to let them know I wouldn't be there. So the court would get put back. So, and the judge went, this one casino, what I was talking about, they went, and he says to the clerk, is there a letter there? And they went, no, he went, we'll go in the back and see if there's a letter there. Because I, I think he knew I was in the line. And he came out and he went, yes, my lord, I found it. And he says, let me see it. And he opened it up and he went, yeah, this has been dated for the Monday or Tuesday. It shouldn't have been at court. But why is he here? And then the clerk's kind of like, ah, because he's saying that letter should have been passed. There shouldn't have been a warrant. I should never should have warrant on the Friday. So that that, that was me. They, 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 let, they let me out in bail. And uh that, 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 that chase was just for fuck all. And uh, I call it the fastest one in Scotland. <laughs> and look what it led to, you know what I mean? <laughs> but talking about cars, Sean, and through my cars here, and, and the car was always getting pulled up in the bank of bill. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was driving down Royston Road one night. This was running about the same time, 2008. I was in the Merc, and uh, there was coppers passing by in a van there was three of them in the van 
and uh, the next one they done a, a U-turn, gave me lights and poked me. Kind of went out and says, yes, officer, what is it? They went, hey, we saw you on your phone. Says, you never saw me on my phone, mate. And the other two says, the freeze have saw you on your phone. They says, we were on an emergency call to go somewhere. And I says, so you're saying, you're on an emergency call, but you're stopping me for a phone. It didn't make sense. You just knew the car. They wanted to pull me, right? So I says to him, I says, look, there's my phone there. You know what I mean? The, the one says, you've got a, a mobile phone. I went, aye, there it's there. But uh, I never told them about something else that was in the car. Because the sisters, they says, right, we can just issue you a fixed penalty, three points to £60 at the time. And I says, I'll see you in court. And they went, what? I says, I'll see you in court. I says, because uh, I wasn't on my phone. I was scratching my head. They went, aye, no bother. We'll see you in court, Ian. So... The court, there was a court date set, and my lawyer says to me, right, I says, no, I'm going to do it myself. So, I was acting like Sean Penn or something, on the film, seek a little's way. <laughs> the crooked lawyer. <laughs> I, I got all dressed up to go to court. I had this suit on, I had this overcoat on. I wrote notes. I've got I've got the, the folder out there, and I wrote on it to noise it up. And one of these sticky notes, I went, Ian MacDonald versus the police. So I went to court and we went and I walked into court and uh, and I had all my notes. I'd, I'd, the night before I'd sat up late and I wrote all these notes for these police constables to ask them questions and all that. Uh, it was only a wee charge, but I was just going ahead with it. You know what I mean? So we got to court and I went in and the magistrate says to me, she says, uh, you've not got representation. I says, no, I'm doing it. She says, you sure? I says, yeah, I'm fine. She says, okay, she says, call the first witness. So this uh, first witness came in, his name's PC Smith or something like that. And uh, right, right away I caught him, I'm doing that, I took the coat off, and I've got a bit glasses, and I'm opening his photos. <laughs> I get into sync here, I started acting like a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was full of confidence. And uh, so this uh, person also went like, yes, he was driving uh, eastbound. And right away I went, hey, excuse me, do you see eastbound? I says, I was driving westbound. And the thing, the, the sheriff went, what's that all about it? I says, well, it says in the summary evidence. And the procurator Frisco went, yes, Mr McDonald's right. So 1-0 to me, you know what I mean? So then I says to him, I says, so you saw me driving with a handheld mobile? Correct. I says, could you, because I wasn't being cheeky, you can't be cheeky, like, really be polite, you can't just say, look, you're a bastard, you know? you've got to be nice, right? <laughs> so... And I'm looking at my notes and I went, so, are you 100% sure about this? And I went, yeah, yeah, I'm 100% sure. I says, but when you think we'd pulled me up, did you come over to the car? He says, yeah, you showed me your mobile. I says, I says you checked it? Yeah. He says, you couldn't see nothing. He says, no. He says, but you were using that phone. I says, no, I was Then I went like that. I says, uh, produce document one, exhibit one, and he looked at me like that. I'd been to the Merck garage and uh, I'd about a phone in my car, but I never told him that, that night. And uh, another hands free. So I says to him, I says, give, uh, I says to Claire, give him that, know what I mean? <laughs> I says, what does that say? And he read it out and he went, uh, Mr McDonald, since he's bought this Mercedes, he said a universal one, two, three, uh, Nokia phone built into the thing, the 
the card, blah, 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 blah. I says, why would I use a mobile phone when I've got a built-in phone? It doesn't make any sense, does it? And he went, well, please be in place. They went, well, I'm telling you, uh, you, you were on it. And I went, okay then, you're saying I'm on the phone. Wait, 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 he says, you were like that. I says, right. I says, what if I was to tell you, yes, my arm was leaning against the window. And you've been mistaken, you've saw a phone. Because I'm talking on my handheld free phone. No, no, in being placed, I've got not 100. I says, well, I'm telling you, I've scratched in my head. So I went like that. I says, that's all the questions. And the magistrate's looking, I hadn't even checked that. And uh, then I went like that to him. I says, right. I says, before before you, your testimony is uh, finished, I says, in Royston Road that night, when you says, Look, I'll just take the ticket. I says, did you know say to me, oh, it'd be good to get a day off in court because police work is boring? I just says that, Sean, I made that up. <laughs> 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 right, no, I made that up. Right, I went, no, fuck him, because you've made things up me in the past and this is all on the phone now. So I says, fuck it. I says, I made that. And he went, and he all went flustered and he went, I never says that. I says, yes, you did. And he went, and I says, look, we're not going to get in a hundred times you said that. I says it. Dismissed. And he went, what? I said, you're dismissed. So away the magistrate had the word and she went, Mr McDonald, tone down. I went, I'm not saying nothing, but you're talking dismissed and all that. I says, well, that's what it happens. She says, just kind of a tone up. So the next witness came in, went through the rigmarole, did you see it? I went, no, I was scratching my head, blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, no, you were definitely on the phone, exhibit, and then... Uh, then I says to him, I went, let's get seen Royston Road that night. I've already says to your first colleague something. I says, you made a remark as well, didn't you? <laughs> and he went, but what, what remarks this? You says you hated the police. <laughs> you says you hated the police and it'll be great to get a day out. <laughs> no, I never. I made that up as well. <laughs> and he went... <laughs> He went, no, I never. I says, yes, you did. And the same thing, I went, we're not going to get into it. And I never says this, Mr. Wayne. That, that's evidence finished. So by this time, the wee magistrate's looking at the procurator. But, Sean, to, 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 to cut this story short, the magistrate, it wasn't a jury or nothing, it was the lowest form, a stepping through magistrate. I couldn't believe my luck. And there was somebody for the newspapers right now. You've gone, fuck. And I'm getting it on the Sean Penn stuff with the glasses of Jake. My folder, kidding on him. This. I was getting into sync. I think I, I actually done better than my lawyer, I tell you the truth. So the magistrate went, okay, then I'm going to summon this up. Oh, no, before I went, I says, yeah, this was another lie. <laughs> I says to the second copper, I went, yeah, I says, when I was travelling uh, westbound, you were saying eastbound. I says, you actually, I, I was inconvenient, you inconvenient me, me that night. And they went, how's that? I says, well, I was going over to the West End to meet my girlfriend. I went, oh, I, I says, well, just to let you know, she's a lawyer, by the way. I says, but I've not got her here today, I'll just deal with that. That was another liar. That was the other liar. No, I mean, it was only wee white lies. So the magistrate, she says, I've summed up all the evidence. Do you know what she said? Do you know what she said? 
<laughs> she, well, she must have thought I was quite good at And I had them in a couple of points. And because Mercedes had gave me the, see the thing with the bit of paper for the, the evidence thing I was saying, right? Um, it's saying about the universal one, two, three phone built in. Yes, Mr. McDonald's got that. So she must have been saying, why would he be using a mobile if he's got that? She says, so I can't go with the police evidence. No, she says, it's first time ever. I wish it was one of my big cases. <laughs> she says, I can't go with the police evidence and uh, I've got to go with Mr. McDonald this time. Not guilty. Wow. Jeez, but it was only a wee stupid thing. But I, I just went down in front of that. So see, after that, I was it was in the newspaper and all that, Blink took on the cops and won and all that. <laughs> I've got it in the folders and that. And uh, after it, a couple of weeks after, I was driving about and people were pumping the horn, like, go on, big man, you go right up the cunts and all that. <laughs> I was like, oh, as I say, but I just wish it was one of my bigger cases. <laughs> know what I mean? Going back to Arthur Thompson then, so on the documentary that you sent me, mm. what come first? Was it the blowing up of the car or his son's death? Arthur's car? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. what happened it was uh, Arthur's car was a wee, it was a wee back in short, I wasn't really that old. It was a way back in 1966, 67. Uh, re reading about it and all that, what happened was he, he'd his mother-in-law staying with him that night and I had a driver. And the driver, in the morning, his, his driver phoned in sick or something and after, you know, old Arthur was to take his mother-in-law home. So he would have been in the passenger seat so he went into the driver's seat and the mother-in-law was in the passenger seat and whoever done it, they rigged the battery to the indicator switch. So when the godfather Arthur went into the car and drove along the road, he put an indica indicator switch to turn round and the thing just blew up the passenger and blew her to shrapnels and killed her. He, he ended up with broken legs and everything else. So it was as I say, it was a way before my time. Was he suspicious that the driver had pulled out at the last minute? I know that that's what I used to think as well. No, I mean had this other mob he was in a he was in a kind of a gang war with a family Fee Black Kill at the time. And uh, it did look a bit suspicious. And because it was meant he, he should have been in that passenger seat. But what happened is a few months later, a year later, he, he got revenge for that. He saw the perpetrators and he was in his car, I think it was in a Jag car. How did he know the perpetrators? Because there was an ongoing war, was It was there? an ongoing war with his family and what kind of get back to him, it was kind of within behind it. And Because uh, the, the, the to tell you the truth, I'm not talking about school here, the people get charged. Three people were charged with the bomb. And what happened was a year later, Arthur's, uh was driving down Royston Road and he saw one of the perpetrators with somebody else and he smashed into the car he killed the two of them and there was supposed to be a police witness and all that in that documentary Britain's uh, Underworld Glasgow there was a couple of police in that in it, and one of them says oh, we saw him uh, it was after that it was definitely after Thompson but after Thompson got somebody says a bystander and they went no no it's that wasn't that man that was driving the car. So see what happened. Uh, see for the two, so there was two trials. There was three people done with the bomb under the car for murdering his mother-in-law. 
there was a, a trial for Arthur Thompson himself who was charged for murdering two people. And coincidentally, Sean, you'll never believe this, the two cases were cited for that week in Glasgow High Court. <laughs> so the three people, Arthur Thompson never gave any evidence of that. There was the three people in the family are not guilty for the murder. And Arthur Thompson went to trial a couple of days later and he got a not guilty. Wow. It's so kind of a, it's all fascinating stuff. No, it's just from the corner for me. You know what I mean? What's the story of Arthur Thompson's wife then? How do you know how they met and who she was? And yeah, she Rita. ended up she ended up stabbing someone. Did that, she? That, that was Rita. I was telling you, like Coronation Street. She didn't want to go to Spain because she liked her Coronation Street. Uh, I'm quite familiar with that story because young Arthur went to school with me because the mum and dad were in prison. It was her. It was her mother that got killed. Rita. And this family stayed in Blackkill. She's went to the door and stabbed a couple of them. Arthur Thompson's wife. Yeah. <laughs> and she got three years. So she was in prison and the young Arthur was going to school with me at the time that I'm in. Wow. And, uh, but this was all back late 60s, early 70s. So it was all this thing where uh, carry on and uh, they, then they moved in. They were, they were in the Ponderosa. And young Arthur had bought one of the houses and he came out and he'd been murdered in there. Coming out the Ponderosa, you know what I mean? But I touched on that earlier when I says that I was in prison at the time and all this gang. This, this was, Sean, this is all 30 years ago. Had young Arthur then, had he um, earned a reputation of his own? Well, Arthur Thompson, were, to, tell, to be basically honest, Sean, young Arthur Thompson was basically trading on his father's name. Mm. But nobody had any respect for him. Mm. And when Paul Ferris got recruited that day, as a lot of people say that he looked in Paul Ferris as his kind of a son because he was embarrassed with the first son, but with young Arthur. But uh, I, 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 I know him well. I, I wouldn't say Arthur was a gang. You see young Arthur, see the way it's portrayed in the film, he was a gangster and all that. He wasn't a gangster, but he shouted his mouth off. He had a big mouth. He ended up getting, he ended up getting ten years for drugs, and uh, up with Peter Head. And it was when he was out in the home leave that he got murdered in ninety one. Mm -hmm. But as I say, every time I saw him, he always had the overalls on. He was full of oil, and he was good with cars and guns and all that. He was actually, Sean. I was in the army cadets when I was thirteen, fourteen. Young Arthur was in there as well. And you could see, I mean, like, we used to strip guns, he was stripping guns and bright goods. But he, he, he certainly wasn't a gangster, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But he shouted his mouth off, so he did. So there's quite, a, I'm learning more about true crime in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And we had a brilliant woman down here called Sandra Lean. Right. And she's doing a lot. She's written a book and she's doing a lot of campaigning for Luke Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Do you know anything about the Luke Mitchell case? Well, only what I've read in the newspapers, and uh, there is a lot of doubt about it. So there is. It was his girlfriend, and she was stabbed, and uh, he found her. And uh, I think the guy has been stitched up, to tell you the truth. I think there's going to be a heavy miscarriage or 
justice coming out of this? Because it was Johnny Boy Steele who got in touch with me about it. Yeah. And he said... I've saw the programmes you're really, talking about. The people are really upset. So people in Scotland are really upset over this. Mm. And they're ramping up the protests. The, the, guys, the guy, he's in, I think he's in shorts. So he, he was done when he was 15 or 16. He's been in about, I'd say he's been in about 15, 16 years. So he must be 30, 30 odds. And he's, he's, he's stone denying it. And there's been a couple of things. But the family... The young girl as well, you've got to take into account. I don't think they're too happy with all this getting dragged up. But what I've saw in programmes as well, there's there's been other items found at the scene. There was supposed to have been somebody running about at these woods and all that at the time. And uh there's a there's a lot a lot of doubt, put it this way about it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of doubt. You know what I mean? So earlier on then you mentioned Interacting with Charlie Cray in the prison system. Mm. So he, you said he, you thought he was stitched up as well. He was stitched up, definitely, you know what I mean? How, how was he handling that situation? Well, he ended up next door to me in Long Latin. I've already kind of discussed it. He, he was an older guy. I think he came in, he was 72 or something. And wow. He, he smoked and all that. And, uh, and, I, and I spoke to him as well. And I'm rehashing this up as well because... He says to me, come to Glasgow, and they, I've heard Johnson, I went, aye, and I went, he went, yeah, I thought was a good friend of yours, you know what I mean? And as I say, Charlie used to, I'd sit in his cell with a cup of tea, and then he would tell me all the stories, because when the twins had, uh, got the lifers, Charlie was caught up in that case, and he got 10 years. Mm. So he got released, and he came out a kind of a celebrity, and, <laughs> and he was saying to me, he says, and he says, I've been in the QE too, and there's been actors and all that for the world and everybody comes running to me, Mr. Craig, can we talk to you, how's the twins and he bit the captain's table and all that. But Char Charlie was, he, he was a good person to talk to, you know what I mean? He, he never went about shouting at him, this or that, he was, he was kind of a gentleman. It was a liberty to see him because he was the third crate died in prison, so he was. He, he and I, I could see it, he got 12 years in when he came to Long Larton. I could see SAC's he's not going to last this. And I think they ended up moving them to Parkhurst or something to the hospital. So li literally the, the three of them died. They, they let Reggie out for a week or something. They went to a hotel in Norwich. But he was all hooked up with all the wires and things like that, you know what I mean? It was quite, I think they made an example of the, the craze. You know, they, they should have been well out, you know what I mean? So in the last few years then, a lot of people have started up on YouTube doing... Um, crime podcast a lot yeah, of people have been yeah, in yeah. prison I mean I've been watching like Michael Francis out of America yeah he's, he's I saw really you on good. that uh, podcast I watched all his as well yeah he's such a gentleman the way he conducts yeah, himself yeah he he's, he's done well for himself you know what I mean because his father was his father was very notorious his father was he was like an after Thompson he, he died at 103 yeah they took him back to prison at 50 and he, he kept doing all these recalls and all that <laughs> But he he was a real he was a real deal with the father, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I wa I watched loads of podcasts and uh, and do you know what I can't understand, Sean? Mm. See, because I, I watch YouTube and all that a lot, and I watch other because I'm interested in truth. That's what I'm interested in. Truth. I can't understand all the podcasters all turning on each other and all that. The podcast wars, as it's been called. <laughs> see, see, and the people have asked me to do a podcast and all that, and if if I. Not that I'm going to, but see if I did that, I would treat people with respect. And but I've been watching some of these podcasters that that that, that, that they're not they're not respectful to people. That they're, they're kind of 
Uh, oh, you turn that. I'll, I'll not get into any names, you know what I mean? But uh, what I've been watching, and I didn't like something that happened to yourself, but I'll not get into that. But uh, I think if you're there to do a podcast, you should be treated with respect. Because you, you, you're the one that's turning up to do the interview. Instead of getting somebody hard to, oh, you don't know, you don't. It's, I just think it's crazy. You know what I mean? As soon as there's an, att an attitude from some people, they think, like, if I knock this guy down, I'll rise up. Aye, aye. It's all about the views, isn't it? All about the views. It's all about the views, yeah, but yeah, to, to say it, and I'm no blowing smoke up your ass, uh, you, you, you've, got, you've got the most subscribers out there, you know what I mean? Biggest podcasters you, in the you, UK. You've risen right right through. Biggest podcasters in the UK, I think, people like Brian Rose, um, London Real, True mm. Geordie. I mean, these guys have got millions. Yeah, I know. So I'm small I compared to them. I know. So there's absolutely huge podcasters aye, in, there, in the UK. There's loads, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all, all the new new people that's coming on the scene now, it's just they're, they're all just they're all just slagging each other. And was it you sent me a message saying this will end up in some real world violence, or was it somebody else who sent sent me that message saying but, someone said this all this podcast war stuff it'll end up in like some real world violence. Someone sent me a message warning that that could possibly happen. And then just in the last week, yeah, there was I think a, it was me was, sent it to there you. There was a situation where I I sent it. Oh, it's, uh, there was a situation ages last week. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a couple of characters and they attacked each other in the car. Yeah, yeah I mean in yeah, the car. Yeah, and I went, yeah, we, yeah. we saw that about. You know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. said this and I said that. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just, it's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, are there any uh, when so if if you go on YouTube, then are there any any podcasts in particular you like to listen to? You know, people you enjoy listening to. Well, I, I, I listen to a lot of yours. You know what I mean? First of all, the crime. I listen to a lot of people in America as well. Yeah, I do, yeah. I do the podcast. I'm kind of fascinated it, with other people in America. It, it, what's fascinating is like how the criminals are structured in America versus the UK, isn't it? Mm. It seems like it's a bit more serious with the, Stephen, the cartels St and stuff Stephen, like that. Stephen Gillen, he's he's kind oh, of a yeah. Stephen yeah. Gillen's focused. He, he's doing no bad podcast. Stephen Gillen, you've heard him on your podcast. He's a great guy, Stephen. Aye, Gillen. Stephen. Yeah. I met him in prison and that. Yeah. And uh, he he's changed his he he's really changed. You know what I mean? He's trying to do a good look. But what he's I've noticed what he's focusing on is all the Americans. Yeah. He, he said, oh, the, I mean, that, that's solely what he's doing, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he's done well to get connected to all these people. Mm -hmm. And I think he done Michael Franzi as well. And John Elite. He's done yeah. John Elite. Yeah. He's, he's done a few people, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's carved out a niche with the uh, mafia, American he has, mafia, hasn't he? Has, he? Uh, he has, yeah, he has. That, there's one I listen to, it comes up quite a lot, I know, because he does a lot of the American uh, gangster stuff, you know, Vlad. Oh, he Vlad, got, but you never see his face. He got in trouble, didn't he? Or something happened whereby one of his guests got arrested. Mm. Do you know about that? I was that just recently there. I think that um, the guest said something on the podcast, uh, which landed him a murder arrest and charge. And he's, right. I don't know if he's been convicted, but he's in uh, he's in ca incarcerated for murder now. He said the wrong thing on a podcast. Was that one of the rappers? I've not looked into it too deeply yet. I've just been soulless. See the the Vlad that I've read about his history. I think he he started as a kind of a DJ. Mm. That, that then he but he's been in it a while. But he does all the short clips and all that. Yeah, he comes out and it's all the the American he does quite a lot. And he's got like what five, six, seven million subscribers, yeah. something like that. Yeah, he, he's got loads. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Loads, so he I has. do watch some of his stuff, but he does a lot of rappers as well, doesn't he? Ah, he, yeah. he does loads yeah. of rappers, so he does. 
We had Mr. Capone on, who was a rapper out of um, LA. He was interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, but I, I really love what Stephen Gillen's doing with his uh, the direction he's going in. I think he's, he's trying to get a following out of it as well. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's booking it. Have you got any Stephen he's Gillen prison there. stories from your own experience? No, because it was just, when I met Stephen, it was just briefly, he, he'd done a lot of time in segregation, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he, yeah. he, would, he wouldn't have been the wing long. Yeah, he was a yeah. bit of a rebel. <laughs> Category eight, high, highest supermax. Yeah, yeah he, he yeah, was a bit yeah. of a rebel, so he was. Yeah. But the, the amount of people I met in there was, was unbelievable, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I was down there just over nine years. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a hell of a lot of people. Who was the scariest person you ever met? Scariest? In your entire life, in prison or outside of prison, the scariest person you've ever met? Yeah. Uh, Number two thing you had to say that in in prison there was there was loads of scary people. <laughs> you know I mean, it, it, it yeah. put me and the boys getting you know that. I mean, yeah. No, there, there was loads of people. There was a lot of serious maniacs. You know that. I mean, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I met a few of them and I got on well with them. <laughs> so I did. You know that. I mean, yeah, yeah. And uh, I touched on one of the stories before we guy Warren. Warren Slaney, you know what I mean? He was a bit of an intimidating figure, you know what I mean? Yeah. But me, me and him were friends, so we were. And uh, outside, there's no really, there's no really been any scary, but going back to the Godfather, mm -hmm. see the couple of times I was summoned into his house and the times I met him and all that, see, see just looking into his eyes, you could tell he was a real deal. He, he was, he, he was a real deal. And he went about his business quietly. He wasn't flashy or, or nothing like that. And when I was younger, I used to think all oh, these stories were all crap about, and crazy, but they were, all, they were all true, you know what I mean? Who's the most intimidating person you've met today? Today? The wild man. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said the... The wild woman. The wild woman. <laughs> and you brought some beers. Yeah, to, um To um, toast... Yeah. Well, man, we've got three of these here. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'll pop these off. Did uh, Wild Woman want to come on camera? Or are you? So this is a special guest that Sean uh, sprung on me when I came down and said, somebody's want to meet you. And it's somebody I've read, read a lot about. And it's uh, it turns out it's a Wild Woman herself. <laughs> And she's very intimidating, by the way. <laughs> I would like her for about a hand or something, Glasgow, if there's any trouble breaking out. In the police, <laughs> in the police reports, they had undercover cops outside of her house watching, right. and um, they saw a wild man running in fear for his life, and 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 this woman with a giant fan chasing him. felonies on her first indictment. <laughs> well, well, thing me, I'd watched a couple of the podcasts and read as well about the wild man and the wild woman. Yeah. Where they took over this house. Yeah. And they chased everybody else out and all that, know what I mean? And that was for, I think it was the Mexican gangsters or something, wasn't it? That was one of the houses that didn't get blown up. Yeah, well, several I, got I, blown up or set right. fire to. That's right. Because I think you turned up and you went, where are you? You went, oh, we've let them in our house and did you wanna, here. Did you want to appear or did you want to... Hi, right, uh -huh. come on, come on over and say hello to the, the viewers. Uh, 
This is a famous wild woman. What? I've even brought three amigos. It's tequila. Come, come round here. Yeah. So you stood here in the middle of us. Finally, You're got right. Her. The wild woman's finally appeared. There's She's a nice amigos. girl, by the way, but don't get in the wrong side. Cheers. All right, cheers. 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 Yeah, yeah. Mm. And don't let her size fool you. <laughs> I don't even drink. That's quite tasty. Peter would like Isn't that, it really tasty? Uh, tequila like flavour, but oh, from his Mexico. Yeah. Right. yeah. And we are the free amigos. Yeah, yeah. The amigos can move again. So, so the wild, the wild, the wild women think they're doing a podcast. Yeah. She's the wild woman. We'll be she, she's been studying, watching, seeing my technique. I said, she'll be able to do it, no bother. <laughs> she's got hundreds of stories to tell. Yeah, She's loads. turned up. And she would, Sean was telling me she was second in command even further up than Peter. Yeah, the police had, uh, it was called the Atwood Enterprise. And they had everybody in order of seniority. So Wildman was number three. Right. Wildman was number two. <laughs> <laughs> She's sitting there all quiet and now, but I wouldn't like to be in the wrong side of her. <laughs> <laughs> well, they find some friends that, but she's a nice lady. <laughs> Don't get in the wrong side of <laughs> So she's thinking of doing a podcast. Yep, yep, so we'll get the verdict well, after she, this. She would have some great stories to tell. Oh, me. it's off the hook completely. Mm. All right, then, so for the people watching this podcast today, please let us know in the comments what you have thought about the podcast. If you want to hear Blink's book narrated in a Scottish accent, very clear, a very clear BBC-sounding Scottish accent, um, then well, the links will be down there for Scotland's Wildest Bank Robber. Same narrator that we did with the Paul Ferris book, so I'll put Paul's links down there as well. If people want to reach out to you, Ian, on socials, are you active on any of the socials? No, or I'm anything? not in the socials. <laughs> you, you can, meet, you can see me in George Square. No, I mean, I walk by there and then again. No, I can't be annoyed with the car. I'd be fighting every night. No, I mean, do, come down to George Square for a square go. Like, no, again, no, I mean. So I'm not in any socials at all. No, I mean. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers. And most of all, then, huge thank you to Ian for coming down. Yesterday, long way down from up there, and uh, spending the night. And um, Sean put me up in the nice hotel again. Hotel Indigo. Was it a nice? Oh, the, the, the with a nice steak and all that last nice night. Steak. Yeah, good. And I brought good. Ashley and uh, Millie down. Yeah, as well. and huge congratulations, man, on your family. Yeah, no, that's yeah, good. brilliant to see. That's good. No, yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. So it's good to see you again. Um, yeah, yeah give, us, give us a hug, then, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheers. Appreciate it. Thank you. Always. Always a great uh, pleasure. Yeah, it's always yeah, good yeah. to see you.